Um, so hey, I'm Matt and you're listening to New and Improved on Sim. Today I am lucky enough to be joined by Charlie of Unizuma, who is all the way out in Florence, Italy at the moment. Um, on Truth of Consequences, which is the newest record by the band dropped earlier on this year, or I guess now technically the second newest record. Um, it kind of shows and explores this sophisticated synth pop style that the band have been developing for, for quite a while now. Um, the records, uh, as, as indebted to dreamy eighties nostalgia as it is to kind of more modern electronic sounds. Um, and before we go into the newer alternate re versions record that has just been released, I wanted to touch on the original. Um, so three years after Willow Bank, we finally got another full length project. So as a group that is you know, super notable for three incredible EPs that kind of outlaid the development of the group over the years. How do you guys um, prepare differently when going in to record a full-length LP? Or were you conscious that it was going to be a full-length LP? Um, I don't think the process changes very much um, because we're all based overseas. We always start off any song or record with um, a bunch of ideas that um, start off as like small little projects in Logic Pro, which is the software we all use at home in our bedrooms. And, and then we send those files back and forth between each other and slowly they um, grow into full songs and either four or five full songs on an EP or, you know, 10, 12, 14, 15, how many we record for an album that we eventually pared down to about 10 songs. So the right. process doesn't really change too much. The only difference is that um, on this record, we spend a bit more time afterwards in studios. Um, just going through everything, adding some more instrumentation, changing the arrangements, and that can be quite an um, intensive process. I was going to say, so has that kind of been consistent the whole way through? Have there been any projects that were made with everyone you know, in one group, or has it always been all over the place sort of thing? Uh, it's always been more or less all over the place, but I guess as we've grown up as a band, we've had more uh, resources to try and... Um, get ourselves in a studio so it's over time we've been able to spend more time together especially when we're on tour you know at the end of a tour we usually try and get uh book in some studio time and somewhere and make the most of that because like although it's great to, to write and record when you're apart and you can sort of set things up like a factory production line where someone's working on something while everyone else is asleep you miss out on um all of the sort of like really quick rebounds of creativity that you get when you're all riffing off each other in the, in the same room so i guess over time we've tried to promote that more and more i think willowbank was the first one where we actually um did that to a to a large extent um but even then we still had all of the demos and everything mapped out um before we got into the studio true for consequences i think was the first time we'd ever written like one of the songs off the record completely from scratch so we did that for maybe three or four of the songs um where we were in the studio and we were just like oh let's come up with an idea and um take it completely from from like one drum sound or one piano note and we would swap the controls of the laptop back and forth between each other until we came up with like a like a song so i think that uh, the song sage literally was one piano note that we like we we started with from from christy and then that passed to me and then i built it up we had a chord we had chord progression someone put down a kick drum we had a drum beat and uh we built up really 
really quickly um, just in the, in the space of a couple of hours. I think that's probably one of the quickest songs we've ever written, but one of my favorites on the record. Yeah, it often um, seems that that's the case. And you wouldn't really have any idea of that. It, it, everything obviously flows so naturally. I think in kind of like the dreamy, poppier soundscapes, it's um, definitely more appropriate or it definitely works better with that style because I was listening to um, to a, a group which was obviously in quite stark contrast of sound, which was the band you were in about 10 years ago, I believe, which was Bang Bang Etch. Um who are a you know a very fast paced synth punk kind of group if for anyone who's unfamiliar um are your yeah, you know, quite your different punk, quite a different sound for sure are your are your punk days long behind you or do you uh, do you still get a lingering desire to rock out <laughs> um, i don't know I, I think um i think sometimes all of that feeds through i mean we're in your museum we're not inspired by any one one thing or another it's a collection of all of our you know gained influences over the years of time we've been writing music together i mean josh was in bang bang itch as well for a time and okay. me and christy and josh have been making music together in various bands and stuff for nearly a decade now so we have a lot of different shared influences and some of the abstract and um like old favorites always sort of seep in time to time. Everything's a, a big tapestry that we draw from. But I think on the records, we try and keep things a bit more um, like re- refined and, and suitable for like listening at home. But then live, you know, things change a little bit. And because we're using like a lot of guitars, live drums, and um, the volume comes up a little bit, I think people are usually surprised when they come to a Yumi Dimmu show that it's not the, the dream pop that they um, were expecting from the, from the record so much. I mean, it's still very similar, but we, we do try and uh, <laughs> rock out a little bit like, <laughs> but no, it's not, it's not like Bang Bang Edge. I mean, Bang Bang Edge was, uh, I think I was like 17, 18 at the time. So, you know, a decade on it's, um, you know, you change a little bit. <laughs> a little bit less angst. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Different view on the world right now. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> a little bit more grateful for my for my health and, and ability to do anything right now in lockdown. The alternate versions, in a sense, have this slightly more nocturnal kind of upbeat, free flowing energy, almost as if it was kind of like a like a late night gig kind of thing. Um, was there any specific motivation or like aesthetic or idea that kind of inspired the sound that came about for these versions? Yeah, we thought about a different, a few different ideas. Like when we, when we came up with the idea to re-record truth or consequences in a completely different way, I think the first thing that came to mind was like, Oh, let's do a a remix album, sort of like soul wax's night versions. Um, and then after a while we were like, it might get a bit boring doing that for every song and then we're like oh maybe we should do an acoustic version where you know everything is very stripped back and and like like you know very like soft rock kind of setting and then we tried that and it was a bit boring as well so in the end we actually split up all the songs in between ourselves and we were like here's three songs for you here's three songs for me let's go away and try and just come up with the most 
strange setting through each song. Like if it's double time, it's put in half time. If it's a major key, let's put it in a minor key. If it's in a certain style, let's try and put it in a completely different feel. And then we came back and gave him gave him back to the group and played around with them some more. And that's sort of where we got to in the end. So it's just a big mix of different styles and and variants and and basically just trying to capture like the different versions of the record in a way that sometimes we do when we play live because obviously true for consequences the original album came out in like march 13th which was the day that the who declared the coronavirus to be a pandemic so when we arrived to america for our first show that all of our like tour plans for that album campaign got cancelled, so we weren't able to tour. So this was sort of our way to to have that fun sort of experimentation that we get to enjoy on stage at home during lockdown. Yeah, yeah well, that most definitely comes through. And obviously we spoke just before we started recording about potentially returning home to New Zealand to get some live gigs in at some point. Um, do you think when you guys perform live, which, which versions are you going to go with? Are there any, are there any of the alternate tracks that you actually prefer over the, the originals? I don't know if you can say that. Yeah, I think, I, I mean, when the, when the alternative versions came out, I like almost strongly felt that I preferred all of them over the originals. But I think right. now that that was just because they were newer mm. <laughs> and, and I'd gotten sick to death of the original songs. And I really just enjoyed the new, new settings that we created. But like looking back now, now I've had a, a you know, a month to, to think about things. I, I think um, when we play live, I mean, it might be nice to, to mix it up a little bit. I mean, we always try and sprinkle songs in from all over our catalog when we play live. Like, so if you're a fan of like the first CP we did, you know, you won't turn up to our show and be completely confused or not know any of your tracks. So I'm sure when it comes to playing live again, hopefully in 2021, uh, you know, we'll, we'll put in a couple of original Truthful Consequences tracks and then a couple of alternate versions. So there are a couple that, I, I really enjoy it. Like we've already tried to play some of them live, um, just like by remote uh, distance. <laughs> we, we, we've done a little sort of pra- a few practices and stuff like that. Um, but, um, and, and yeah, and, and some of them are sounding pretty good. Like I really enjoy the playing the alternate version of Lonely After. So hopefully things can return back to normal and we can get back playing shows again so we can work that out at some stage. Um, because the band has obviously, for anyone paying attention, there's always been a extensive history with remixes and whatever, whether it be a piano version or a pro, uh, some other artist. Like I think there was a Wild Nothing remix of an earlier track, which I really love. There's always been lots of remixes and stuff like that. Um, so what is it about kind of different perspectives and remixes and stuff that you guys really gravitate towards? I think it's a... It's, it's just a natural thing that we've always sort of done as part of a writing process. Like when we write a song, we usually start off with some sort of instrumentation, like a guitar or bass or keyboard. And then we build that up until we have a full instrumental that we can write vocals on top of. Then we write the vocals and come up with like the best melody that we can in between all of us. And then we strip away the, the instrumentation and try mm-hmm. and rewrite it to completely fit the melody. So every mm-hmm. song, we do we sort of do that so it's uh, the, like the remix process the alternate version like process it's 
it's always been a part of us. So doing this this sort of album or collaborating with other people or doing piano versions, like you said, that that's that's always been part of our writing process. Every song has like five or six different versions that are completely um, different just because, you know, when you write something, when you, when you write like a guitar line and then a vocal line, it's just, you know, just because they sound good in isolation doesn't mean they always go together. And, and sometimes, you know, the arrangement process of a track is a, is a thing that's the real killer, you know, the, the thing that takes a while. So we're, we're fortunate enough to have four songwriters in a band who are able to, to, to be a part of that. Um, and yeah, it, it, it just means that everything's very fluid and, it, and it's hell for our record label because we always send them <laughs> ideas and, and a month later they change. But um, if you can get past like the, the need to cling on to a demo or, or a certain sound, I think um, things always end up for the, for the better having that. Um, constant refinement and and everything but I, like i said for some songs um like you write it in an hour and it's done like like when we wrote sage on truthful consequences but um those those bouts of inspiration where you can take a track from an idea to a finished product in, the, in a day are very few and far between for us usually things take a lot longer <laughs> Yeah, well, it works really well. I guess that is, I hadn't really thought about the fact that they already are kind of pre-packaged as deconstructed, so easy to kind of piece apart and put together again however you like, which is really cool. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I was going to reference before. So I, I was listening earlier to a, a cover album you guys did of um, What's the Story Morning Glory by Oasis a few years ago, <laughs> <laughs> which yeah. I am... Yeah, I don't think I'm alone in having missed that one. <laughs> um, if you, so anyone listening, definitely go check that out. It's actually really great. Um, but if you were to, to how are you listening to it, by the way? Oh, um, don't tell anyone because it's kind of. I think I was doing it illegally. I was concerned you might be uh, <laughs> confronting me on that one. <laughs> no, <laughs> was, no, no, there's no, a YouTube uh, rip. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. Well, I'm glad it's up somewhere because. Like, um, for anyone that doesn't know that, it was just a physical product only. We did it for a vinyl subscription service called Turntable Kitchen as part of like a series where they got other bands to commission, um, other bands to record like um, cover albums of, of, of classic albums, and th- those got sent out like on a um, mail order basis. So it's, it's a service that you subscribe to and you get records in the mail. like like Vinyl Me Please or yeah. um, I forget the one that's famous in Australia. There's something to that. Um, but um, uh, they approached us and they were like, oh, if there was any album that you could cover in a Yumi Zuma style, um, like in its entirety, what would you want to do? And we're, like, we were on tour at the time and we were listening to all our favorite, favorite records in the, in the car and we were like, oh, let's do... Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge by My Chemical Romance. Let's do Silent Alarm by Block Party. Let's do I'm Wide Awake It's Morning by Bright Eyes, stuff like that. And every time we tried it, it never worked out in a Yumi Zuma style until eventually someone, I think as a joke, was almost like, let's do an Oasis album. <laughs> <And laughs> Just started with Play One. You know, we laughed it off at the time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's the most cliche. So, like everyone jokes about someone pulling out an acoustic guitar at a party and covering Wonderwall, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, that, but we did it. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, yeah, it's the most cliche thing you could do. But uh, in the end, we realised they were, Oasis were the perfect band for us to cover because 
all of their songs are like carried completely 100% by the vocals. So if you want to strip away the music, you still have 99% of, of the song there. Like that, the, 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 back, the backing music doesn't have like any like integral parts that are necessary to carry songs. So if you want to completely change the style, put it in a dream pop setting, change the tempos, change the key signatures, change all the chord progressions like we wanted to do, and it's just a perfect album because the melodies are, are what carry the tune and, and they're what are instantly recognizable. So it's super modular and, and portable to, to carry into different settings. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's still something that I, I go back and listen to a lot because even though the, the songs uh, are songs that we've been sick to death of, I think in, in the new settings with like a female vocalist, like Christy singing, it, it, the... The tracks are different enough to be palatable again. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I was super surprised because I came across it just kind of by chance, and was you know, you you see things like this. You know, most kind of. I remember they, there was a big cover album of like Grateful Dead songs and like Velvet Underground songs and stuff like that, and they are often you know kind of hit or miss, kind of gimmicky. But I was like super surprised sure. that it worked so well in in that setting. Um, which was great. And my, my question was going to be, if you were to cover another album now, what would you choose? But it sounds like enough effort and thought went into it the first time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I would have to, um, sorry, someone's playing some wood blocks in the background, but, um, like but anything I said now would probably be something that wouldn't work in the new museum context. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. When you when you think of when you when you when you're about to cover a record from start to finish, and you have to think about whether you can actually make every song work, um, it, it is a, an extensive thought process, and like a lot of trial and error goes into it. Unless unless you're happy with some with some tracks just being absolute trash, or or like exactly the same, right? That's yeah. the thing we wanted them to be completely different. So, but I've always really appreciated the the. Um, kind of the art direction and style, whether it be from the early days with the now kind of iconic photos on the early EPs to more kind of abstract line drawings that came around EP3 and these kind of hazy film videos and everything like that over the course of the career. Um, I was wondering, you know, if there was any uh, kind of filmmakers, I get kind of a French new wavy aesthetic and things like that. If there was any, um, you know, artists or filmmakers or anything that you kind of connect to the Yumi Zuma style. Yeah, it changes from record to record. And I think the visual aesthetic is the thing that we always pour over the most because like writing music comes very easy to us because we practice it for the years and years and years, but we're not like um, trained visual artists in any sense. Like we do a little bit of photography on the side, but none of us do it full time and none of us are like dedicated painters or anything like that or illustrators. So we always try and involve like people that inspire us as much as possible. Like for the Yon Carlo artwork, um, we asked um, our friend who's a great New Zealand uh, illustrator called Henrietta Harris to, to, to do that um, album cover, which is just like um, four photos of us that she took while we were overseas and did um, line drawings in her studio. Um, and then like a similar thing for EP3, um, Aiden Koch, we, got to um, just 
come up with a few different illustrations and sort of like an uh, like an Italian illustration style because um, like that that record is influenced a lot by Italian uh, cinema and vibes and time that we spent over there and then the Willow Bank that was a drawing that that Sam did at home for Truth and Consequences that was a Chris that was a photo that Christy took so it's a it's a big mix of things and um it, the, the visual aspect never really comes together until the last minute you know we always have to have the songs completely written first before we can figure out you know what what are we trying to encapsulate here what is the look that we're going for and um we usually try and put like a, a mood board together and and decide on like a distinct color scheme that we can use for the whole campaign and things like that so um it's it's an intense it's an intense process and probably the part that i look forward to the least because we argue like hell about it like more than anything christy is a graphic designer actually so i did it a, a disservice by saying that um she's not as trained on the visual aspect as the rest of us but um yeah we, we definitely um get into some heated conversations when it comes to like what should the album cover be and stuff like that so but i think we're all really happy with how everything um, come out and 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 when you look at it now, I hope that the the aesthetic is cohesive. And when you look at a Yumi Zuma record, you can tell it's a Yumi Zuma record. But what we do next for the, for the next album, I don't know. I mean, Truth of Consequences was easy to do for the alternate versions. We just <laughs> we just flipped the the cover on its head and inverted it. But um, now we have to come up something more. Uh, unique for the for the next yeah for sure well i mean it's it's very very clearly been like meticulously crafted the whole way through it's always something i've been very you know conscious of when following the band is how you know um how careful the art direction and aesthetics behind it all are um and you know even with the typography or the you know signature yumi zuma being consistent pretty much the whole whole way through which is you know little touches like that that i really love um so that more or less wraps it up today um it's been a pleasure chatting with you and um i do really hope that we get to see these versions or any versions of something live at some point um yeah is there you mentioned it off camera but is there anything any any sort of plans to to make that happen in the future uh yeah so we we have started booking shows again for next year so the first uh, tour we've announced is a European tour in, in September and October of 2021. Um, and I think that might actually happen. <laughs> I mean, everything is sort of like a, jo- like a, a task of crystal ball gazing right now. And like everybody's become an amateur epidemiologist and an expert in vac- vaccination rollouts. But I, I, you know, it, it, we've over the last, you know, six months or so, we've we've been in talks with booking agents and tentatively booked in dates and and, and holes on venues that like it started off in like October of this year, February of next year, uh, April of next year, that and and we had to cancel them all. But but now I think we're in a place where the world seems like it's coming together a little bit and, and I can have a bit of hope now, which is, which is really nice. Like yeah. as a, as a touring musician to release an album in March of this year and not being able to tour it at all, like it's sort of, 
it, it's quite you know frustrating because you know we worked for like two two years on truthful consequences and and touring was going to be our main um you know promotional to tool to promote the record you know but Mm. without the coronavirus like epidemic we we wouldn't be able, we wouldn't have been forced into making the, the alternate visions i guess but um not being able to play live for so long has been has been quite frustrating i think and i'm i'm, I'm really looking i'm really happy now that i've got something locked in at least <laughs> tentatively locked in for, <laughs> for september next year and and we'll, we'll try and do more around that as well we'll probably try and fit in a, an asian tour maybe before or after try and do australia and new zealand depending on what like quarantine rules are like um because we're all living overseas now except for olivia so it's a bit difficult um and then america i have no idea about i presume at some point we'll be able to tour america next year but it, it might be towards towards the very end I imagine um, but like I said it, it's all a guessing game right now um, everyone's in the same boat sort of tentatively putting in dates and and crossing their fingers so we'll, we'll yeah, I mean, when it comes to America, especially, it's hard to hard to gauge. But it does seem like hope has has returned um, internationally at the moment, which is really exciting. And obviously, yeah, I can only imagine how you know kind of anticlimactic it is to release and not be able to tour and connect with your fans and everything like that. And it's been a similar experience for music listeners um, as well. But it has been a great. Um, comfort having music from from bands like you guys especially putting in the effort to double it up and things like that it has these are the things that have gotten everyone through the year so we all very much appreciate it and hopefully um yeah we'll get to see get to see the tour in september so looking forward to that thank you matthew that that's that's um that's very like very reassuring to hear i mean like if, if anything i hope that the the new records and stuff were able to distract from the, the, the terrible times that we've been through over the last few months. So, um, uh, yeah, <laughs> we hope that we've helped people in, in some way. And I guess it, it helped us as well. Like if we weren't working on the alternative versions project, I would have been born, like bought out of my mind over the last <laughs> few months of lockdown. It was, it was really nice to have something like music to, to fall back on and, and sort of like, forget about everything else for a while when you're stuck indoors and uh, yeah no definitely it's been a a nice common solace for everyone i think so yeah um that about wraps it up today thank you again very much charlie of yumi zuma of course um and yeah we will now play a couple of yumi zuma tracks you have been listening to matt um on new and improved on sin thanks very much have a good one